I've seen and heard things on this podcast that you wouldn't believe. Things no photographer should ever experience. It's a fool's errand. Listeners beware. Welcome to the RGGEDU podcast, you grace. Where Rob and Gary drink mead with your favorite photographers. This podcast is brought to you by Sakonic, where being a creative comes from removing the guesswork. Understanding light is a tricky business. That's why Sakonic light meters are the perfect solution for any photographer wanting to get more from their studio lights. Light meters are more than just a measurement tool. They are a gateway to understanding how to shape light and to use it to create beautiful images consistently. Head to Sakonic.com to see how a light meter can help you stop all the guesswork. In this episode, the first episode of season four, Rob Grimm, we're in, we're in Vegas. Season quattro, here in Vegas. <laughs> season quattro. <laughs> we are joined with Josh Diamond, a New York-based director. Yes. Josh, thank you for, thank you for coming and making the time this week. I know, I know you're busy. You're welcome. And you're, you're one half of the famous Diamond Brothers, correct? That is true. All right. Tell, tell us about your brother and what the two of you do. Give us a rundown. Uh, so I have a twin brother. Yeah. We are collectively known as the Diamond Brothers since our last name is Diamond. It's <laughs> pretty easy. Although we have had phone calls with people who think we're, it's like a made up like branding thing. Yeah. Uh, or people accuse us of being professional wrestlers. So it's one of the two. Do you guys wear leotards <laughs> and like jump off stuff? Only in private. <laughs> only in private. Only, only in together. private. Yeah. Well, only actually together. looking at you, I think you'd be an awesome wrestler. Honest to God with the beard. And yeah, I think I, uh, you need to do it. I think I'm a little small. Well, I got to bulk up. No, a little. come on. You, you get in there. I got to go on the rock diet. <laughs> there has to be some pro wrestlers out there that are pretty small. Sure. Yeah. Have to be. Not Andre the Giant. He was wrestling. Huge. Wrestling's a show anyway. Yeah, so, I know. You know. I, I met Andre the Giant when I was like nine years old. I grew up in Florida. And my dad took us to see, like, I'm a little older than you guys. Maybe not you. No, I got you beat, but yeah. I'm sure of it. Uh, <laughs> and uh, he, after the show we all we went out and back and everyone you know gets autographs and whatever and he came out to get in his car and my brother and i were like this is the biggest person i've ever seen in my life and i'll never forget that he got into uh he got into a two-door cadillac the front seat driver's seat was removed and he sat in the back, in the back. seat no way to drive. yeah <laughs> That's pretty awesome. It was pretty insane. I was like, "What's happening?" Like at nine years old, yeah, even that, I was like, "What?" That would blow your mind as yeah. a nine-year-old. Yeah, that doesn't uh, even. Cool. I can't even compute that right now. <laughs> he was in one of my favorite movies of all time, The Princess Bride. Yeah, a classic. Yeah. So, right. you, so I, I promise not to make any more twin jokes. No. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sure. <laughs> I'm sure. Away. I'm sure you're tired of them, so we won't it's, even. Go I'm there. sure I've heard them all. I'd like to hear some new ones. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's let's start from the beginning. How did you get into this industry? Uh, so my brother and I have always wanted to be in films. We were at just the right age when Star Wars came out in the original trilogy in the seventies. Yeah. I was, I was in the theaters too. My, yeah, my, yeah. my family took us on the 4th of July. I remember that very uh, clearly. Yeah. We went to the Creve Corps theater and saw it. It blew my mind. Yeah. It was cool. So between that and Kiss, you know, <laughs> when you're like seven, you're like, I don't know what this is, but I want this. Yeah. Right. You know, so my brother and I are also musicians. We played in bands for years and toured the country, and that's a whole other podcast. Um, but we just always wanted to be in film. And, and we when we moved to New York and we were about in our early mid-teens, we started working with this uh, special effects guy that we found who made masks and dioramas for toy stores and all sorts of, like, practical stuff, not cg effects 
And from there, we, we, we went to film school and quickly realized that we didn't like anybody in the film program. So we sort of just, we went to uh, Hunter College in the city. The people the teaching it or the, your fellow classmates? No, our, 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 our first teacher was the, she was Orson Welles' personal biographer. She wrote a huge book on him, spent the last 10 years of his life with him. I'm a huge Orson You're Welles kidding. fan. You're kidding. Yeah, it was fascinating. Yeah, unfortunately, he was dead by the time we went to college. But right. he, she's like, oh, yeah, he used to just show up in class and talk to the class. Which you know, learning like, from her must have yeah. been incredible, too. Yeah. Like, what was yeah. her perspective on, on him? Well, so we did a... We did a Part of the class, the second class we took from her was uh, using his original script notes from Touch of Evil to, uh, we were assigned scenes by group mm -hmm. and three-quarter deck to three-quarter deck, like re-edit the scene based on his original script notes, which they've since done, the studio did and released the restored version and whatever, but it was just just one of those things to, to have a look inside the mind of somebody yeah, like what an that. incredible opportunity. No, it was amazing. Yeah. But, you know, um, my brother and I are a bit ADD and just I'm not really like school is not my focus. That's everybody in this focus. business. That's yeah. why we're in this it's, business because we're so ADD. Completely a common denominator with yeah. everyone we talk to that's yeah. a creative. Yeah. Like, yeah. You can't, total function, ADD. can't function in an office. You have to be creative. No, you know? for sure. Um, so school quickly kind of fell away and we were talking with some friends who are in the business and like, you know, I, I know you guys are working on a film, just I'll PA, get coffee, whatever. I don't mm -hmm. care. And they're like, well, we just wrap production, but we just got this new thing called an avid. If you want to mm -hmm. figure it out, we need some assistant editors. And I was like, all right, never outside three quarter to three quarter. I'd never Nobody really had touched it. The avid at this point. Either. No, this was in the mid to late nineties, like 97 ish six so it was like avid version one mm -hmm. film composer you know um where you just had offline modes there was no online it was just right cutting so my brother and i worked for free for a year for this company um learning how to use avid you're in new york working for free for a year how'd you yeah. guys make it uh well coincidentally bunk we beds. also got there were bunk sued. Beds somewhere. <laughs> no, we got race car bunk beds. <laughs> race car bunk beds. I no, can see we it. we sued our management company that was that bought our building we were living in. Yeah. For for overpayment of rent, and it took a year for that to happen. So I lived rent free for a year. It was like a nice sort of <laughs> strategy. The stars yeah. were coincidence. For you. Yeah. Yeah. And then they paid us to leave, so I made a little money. Nice. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that was sort of, so I was like, okay, now I have a skill that I can utilize in the business. So my brother and I became freelance editors. And Avid was pretty much it at the time. Yeah, yeah, there, mean, was, there, was, there was nothing, nothing else. else. There was nothing else. So you guys were really at the top of the game at this point. Yeah, so we fell into the Viacom um, broadcasting, broadcasting world. world, MTV, VH1, Nickelodeon, Spike for quite a number of years. So you were working on all those networks? Yeah, well, they're all Viacom, yeah. so they just, you know, your name would get thrown around. Oh, I worked right. with this producer. He said, you were great. Can you come edit my show? And, you know, we're, because we were musicians, we got known for being really good live music editors. Mm -hmm. so, so what kinds of stuff did you work on with Viacom? Uh, we did the first sports and music festival. Um, excuse me, I'm going to drink some water. <laughs> uh, we did a series for a couple of years in our own. We opened our own post company. Uh, and we did a series live from the Hard Rock in Orlando. So that was like a half hour 
live special with uh, whatever bands mm-hmm. were booked through there, but it was a season. So oh, we cool. did like three seasons of that, spring breaks, all their random shows that, you know, that they would do VH1 specials or, you know, whatever. Sounds like a lot of opportunity to work on a, a, so many different platforms. Yeah, I mean, the the thing that kind of bummed me out about editing after a while is that it just sort of all becomes the same, and I don't like sitting in a, I don't like sitting in a dark room with no windows. You know, most of these day after I, day. Yeah, I mean, we opened our own post company, and we specifically found a spot that had tons of light, and made sure that we put in glass walls so that the light could come through. You know, it's just we're not onlining we're not color correcting so why do i need to be in a black cave Mm -hmm. but when you go to these big edit facilities that have 50 60 rooms they just put them wherever and they just chop the crap out of the space and you're just sitting in like a 10 by 10 box with a light overhead you know just not into it it takes a certain type of person to like love doing that yeah hard we have a few, a few of our employees just love cutting all day long. Like, People I would go it. crazy. I can't do it anymore. Yeah. I can't yeah, sit yeah. in the chair anymore. Yeah. Um, so through that, we sort of, you know, we had been directing music videos in the hardcore scene in, in New York in the late 90s on Super 16. Um, that was, you know, a losing proposition, but it was <laughs> the learning. But it was <laughs> learning. That's some expensive overhead when you're talking about shooting on Super 16. I mean, that's not easy. Though. I mean, the, the budgets weren't high. We weren't right. making a lot of money, but we had we had bought an Avid. Yeah. So my brother and, and I and a, and a partner had opened this pro, this production post production company, and we had saved up enough up enough money with our Viacom contracts to buy an Avid, which at that time one Avid with everything you needed was like one hundred eighty thousand dollars. Good lord! So that was That's a new out of the box. Ooh. Well, with decks and converters and computers and drives. I mean, you have to remember at that point you had to buy drives from Avid. You couldn't right. just go buy a GTEC drive and yeah. Slam it into your right. laptop and sit on the plane and edit. This was like we had two racks of flight cases that were probably five feet tall that had everything we needed in it. So how long did that system last before an, another piece of new technology Every came Every two out? or three years, we ended up re-flipping our lease and getting another upgrading to whatever the oh, new okay. thing so was. Getting, you have to yeah. get, now all of a sudden everybody wants beta, digi-beta. Or now everybody, we have to get bigger drives or that's, you have to get a better computer or there's some plug-in pack that comes out that you have to have because that's what they're asking for Sapphire or whatever. Is Avid still even a player anymore? I don't even really hear much about it. Avid's a huge, they they are still really entrenched in multi-camera TV and film. Most features are still cut in Avid. Oh, really? Yeah. Premiere's really making a strong push. Um, Premiere sort of took over where Final Cut dropped off yeah. and took that market. Man, they took a nosedive. Final Cut. Just, well, well, do you have an well, opinion on that? I'm, I, I was never a Final Cut guy yeah. because I was an avid editor and I got plenty of work as an avid editor. I just never felt the need to learn it. Sure. Um, and I was comfortable with avid. And they all do the same thing. Just pick what you like, right? Um, we do a lot of VR. So we have a VR company as well, Supersphere, my brother and I and three other partners. Uh, New York and L.A. Uh, based. And the only thing you can cut VR in currently is Premiere. So that's that's the platform. That's the platform, right? I, I think I saw some stuff on Twitter that Avid's been talking about a lot of VR workflows and they're 
talking about a new cloud-based something with Microsoft Azure or something. I don't know. I didn't see a lot on Twitter. They were just sort of like, hey, look at this little tidbit. Um, so maybe they're getting into the space. I don't know yet. Mm-hmm. We'll find out this week. But yeah, I mean, it's the same thing as directors and, and cinematographers. I don't care what we use, right? There's We use sometimes four different VR rigs on a job because that's what it calls for. This shot needs to be really close. So I can't use a jaunt or I can't use a custom red rig that we build. I have to use a, a you know, a Zcam S1 or I have to use a Samsung gear or something, you know, right. it's not about the gear. It's about, it's about what, the, what, the, what you're trying to tell the story. Exactly. So the same thing with, you know, we've been red camera owners since the red one. Mm-hmm. We happen to like the platform. I don't, care about i mean alexa is a great looking camera fs7 is a great looking camera there's lots of great looking cameras and those are appropriate for when they're appropriate and the red's appropriate for when it's you know it's like we don't discriminate we have to own red cameras because we like it we think it works for what we do right but if you know we did my brother just directed a a food spot for Cadoba in la a couple weeks ago and they wanted to shoot on alexa so okay whatever Oh, well, I, I firmly believe that there's no perfect camera. There's no one no. one solution. Cameras definitely uh, have their sweet spot. Um, they work particularly well, and they can be stretched. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, you have to be able to be flexible and use different types of equipment. Well, the same would be, you know, for stills. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. there's something no that's better, camera. got better dynamic range, or something's better in low light, or something's better for landscape or time lapse or, you know, whatever. So let's talk about the transition from direct into directing. You guys, I guess... We're kind of tired of sitting in the chair. Yeah, so we were able to flip some of our editing clients, post clients, into production clients. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we kind of stepped back into the music video realm a little bit because now we skipped the whole 5D mini DV revolution. And that was sort of our post-production time. And that was the red one sort of in 2007 when it was announced, is sort of the thing that got us back into the, like, oh, this is something we could afford, right? Because up until then, what was I buying? Right. That's a real cinema camera. Yeah, that was a cool camera. Yeah, so that was that was what sort of pushed us back into production. Like, we were already, around 2008, when the economy went into the toilet, we, we saw the writing on the wall with, with post-production. Uh, Avid sort of followed the Final Cut model and was starting to do all the, AMA stuff with being able to use your own drives instead of Avid drives. And also um, with, uh, sorry, my brain is Vegasing right now. <laughs> um, it just means you had a good time last night. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, there was just, they were commoditizing their software. They weren't making you buy some $20,000 box anymore. And that was sort of when we decided, you know what? if we don't get rid of this stuff we have now, we had seven edit rooms. We're like, you know, if we can sell the stuff off in the next two months, we'll be clean. Right. We'll make any money, but we'll be even, right. which you is all on, I care about. It would yeah. be worthless. Yeah. It's just going to depreciate right. until it's, you know, I'm using it in the worthless. backyard yeah. to, you know, keep tarps down. <laughs> um, so we just made the plunge and we were like, we're not doing, we're not, I'm not an editor anymore. Right. That's the kind of the way you have to do it. Right. You can't dip your toe back in. And I did a little bit because I had a daughter in 2008. And obviously you need money for children because they can't work yet. <laughs> they are expensive. Yeah. Damn yeah. child labor laws. <laughs> um, but 
for most for all intents and purposes, we just sort of made the break. Like we're this is what we want to do now. We're just going to do it. But your ability as an editor must have far set you apart from so many different directors. I mean, the leg up that you have knowing I, the I think so. Process. Well, the thing is that you want to understand the process from concept to completion, mm-hmm. right? You don't want to just understand your segment. And so I don't want to screw myself or anyone else I'm handing media off to by not preparing the project properly in that workflow. You know, if I'm going to do the post afterwards, I might do something slightly different because I might have my own workflow of how I like to do it versus how you may want to do it or you may want to do it. But um, it's also a mind, an onset mindset to be able to look at boards or to be able to watch the footage that you're shooting and go, you know what? We totally forgot something Yeah. because I'm editing this in my head and I'm, I'm looking at the shots in my head and, and I'm cutting a timeline and I'm saying it could be fine, but if we had a pickup of this or we forgot uh, establishing of that, right? right, And it's happened on set where, we, where the client's like, we don't have time for that. And we're like, listen, just give me 20 minutes and let me do it because you're going to want it. And then it ends up in the final because you have to have it there. They must really doesn't make that. sense. Must, your clients must really they see the difference. No? no. How often are you having an I'm editor just... <laughs> on set with you? Uh, very rarely. Very rarely. Yeah. What? It's just no budget. They they don't Usually, want to pay for it. Well, for commercials, it's not necessary not because necessary. if you do your job right, you've boarded the job, and then you're handing your editor boards and a script, and it's like making a pie. Right. Like, do you need to be in the do you need to go sure. shopping with me when I buy the sugar and the flour? No, because you're going to get a list and says do it in this order. Yeah, right. Uh, we just did a we just did a three part series for Lincoln to launch the new Continental. That was a little more freeform, so that was like a, sort of a conversation between two people that was being cut into the narrative, and then B roll. So then at that point, yes, you're finding in post what shot you want to use because then it's subjective. It's not, yeah, you know, board 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 board. And in, in going through a lot of your work, we kind of noticed there's a lot of humor in, in a lot of it. Are you, how much are you influencing that on set as the director um, versus the script of what was written? I mean, my brother and I are huge comedy fans. You know, Bill Hicks, Steve Martin, yeah. Richard Pryor. Um, I like to insert it wherever we can. Sometimes it's not necessary. You know, it's not appropriate, but sometimes you can sneak something in. <laughs> Uh, we're developing a couple features to direct uh, that we're looking for financing for. And they're sort of, they're on this, the dark comedy, black comedy yeah. uh, vein, like a high fidelity or a, those kinds of movies that have serious subject matter, but are clearly in a humorous, have a, have a humorous undertone. One of the things, one of the spots I liked was melt yourself down and dot to dot. Yeah. Tell us about that because that's that's funny. It's totally outrageous. So that's an interesting piece. So Melt Yourself Down is this amazing band that we had just seen on YouTube. Um, uh, Drummer from our drummer from our band, Puny Human, is a booking agent. Mm -hmm. And we said, dude, you have to book these guys. Like they're a European band. They're not really here. You should grab them. And so he's like, oh, yeah, I really like these guys. So he was working on. So we kind of got in touch with the band through him. Prior to that, um, my brother and I were teaching reducation in New York, um, and they had that was the year the movie came out, mm-hmm. and 
uh, tab from FreeFly was at Reducation to show the keep the students, you know, this is the new thing and, you know, integrate it into our workflow to teach them about gimbals and all this stuff. And uh, we're good friends with Vince LaFerre and he was there talking about something and he was involved in the very first, uh, he, he and Timur Savan made the very first movie piece right. that year at NAB. And um, we said, hey. Uh, it was also the same year the monochrome, the dragon monochrome, the black and white one came out. And we were like, man, I, I want to shoot something in black and white. And so we basically at one day at Reducation, we're like, what are you doing tonight? What are you doing tonight? What do you, <laughs> hey, let's do, let's just do something. Let's grab a movie, a monochrome. We own a set of Leica R primes uh, that we had incentivized through Duclos. Um, let's just go do something. So uh, Jim Muscarella, who's a producer that we work with, called a couple people that he knew. And we got the guy in the lion costume who owned yeah. the Cadillac. The the girl was a friend of his. Right. And the guy the the guy who was the uh the chicken yeah. and the dog. The the <laughs> dog is a is a pro skater. <laughs> and the chicken was a, is a stuntman friend of ours. Yeah. And so we just got this random stuff and we just went to, to Times Square with this loose creative and just shot for like five hours it's funny piece and we cut I, this I it. and we yeah. cut it together and we sort of yeah. all my brother and vince and our friend andre we sort of went around in a circle about what music should we do should we make it like what should we do with this right, right. how what and then it just sort of was sitting there we didn't know what to do with it and my brother said uh the guys from melt yourself down emailed and said you know maybe we could talk about doing a music video and he was like Maybe we should just make this their music video. Really? That was so, it? Yeah. So they said, well, here's the track we want to use. So we put it underneath. We did a little tweaking. We sent it back to them. They were like, this is great. We'll use it. <laughs> there you go. So that's like a that's nice, cool. sometimes that kind of stuff works out. You just want to make stuff with friends. You want to just go make something and it can actually turn into something that people, that turns into something right. that people see. Yeah. Outside of just your random, hey, go to Vimeo and see this thing. Well, that's kind of how Vince got so much attention. I mean, you talked about how, that you missed the whole Canon entry. You went right to to the red, and that's um, what blew him up from yeah, being a still photographer and, to a and being director. a guy who you know his story on uh, uh, it was Reverie, right? Mm -hmm. That that's kind of a crazy story. Yeah, to basically be able to get this this camera, it's a total prototype. No instruction manual, and he pretty much did the same thing. He grabbed a bunch of friends, mm -hmm. went out in New York, and put together the film that absolutely blew him up. And totally different path. Sometimes you're in the right place at the right time, and you know the right people, and you just handed this this opportunity yeah. to to do something, and it and it sometimes it changes everything. Yeah. So, as a former editor, do you have a hard time? not editing the stuff you're directing now or is it a relief to just let that go and let somebody else you've handed them the, the it is not hard at all <laughs> <laughs> that is not yeah, a, that it. is not like a struggle i have with myself yeah that's why i have it uh, we have an on-staff editor now and she cuts everything that we do um because she loves to sit in the chair and she loves to edit yeah and i don't what do anymore you, what are your biggest challenges for finding clients Especially, let's go back also, I, I want to talk not just about finding clients now, because um, certainly you guys have built your reputation, but when you made that switch and said, okay, we're no longer editors, we're directors, and you did it at a time when the economy is tanking, how did you go about getting business? Well, um, 
the best way to do that is to have a wife with a full-time job in health insurance. <laughs> Just being honest. Um, Sugar mama. She is, uh, she, without her, I would be nothing on many, many, many levels. Yeah. Um, the, it's a process, right? So my brother and I pride ourselves on a few things. One, we're not dicks. Yeah. Uh, there's just no reason to be a jerk on set, off set, unless people give you cause. Uh, number two, we don't work with people who are jerks. If we work on a set, uh, we have friends that we don't work with anymore because I'd rather be friends with them than work with them. Cause then you have to make that choice. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, we like to consider our core group of people we work with on a regular basis as family and friends. And if we can go out and have a beer and also go on set, but on set, you understand that. And I never say this because this is a jerk thing to say, but like I'm the director and it's my production company. So you work for me, but I'm never going to say that because it shouldn't, it shouldn't have to, it shouldn't have to because right. it's just a weird thing to say to your friends. Right. It's more about let's just work in our slots and do our jobs. And if we all just do our jobs and listen to each other, we should be fine. Right. We can have a good time mm -hmm. and make something cool. So that follows down to how we treat clients, right? So my brother and I are, again, fairly personable people. And we like to make everything fun. And, you know, we sometimes turn our clients into friends. You want to create that, um, you want to create that element of comfort, right? So somebody's like, oh, I really liked working with those guys. It was just so easy to to bounce ideas off of them. Or, you know, some people, some directors refuse to let clients talk to anyone on set the talent the the anybody they're like you go sit in your video village i'm in mine and if you have a problem tell the ad and he'll tell me that's such a weird concept. i can't i that makes no sense to me it's just a it slows you way down and b it's just not necessary yeah so you know we've been on jobs and the clients like hey i kind of have a something like i just want to get the actor to do whatever i'm like go for it go tell him you have an idea that you want to communicate. If you tell me and then I tell them, it's not going to be the same idea you have. It's just human nature. Go yeah. tell them. I have 27 other things I have to get ready for the next shot. You know, it's not the so, orthodox way to do it, but I don't How care. often are you co-directing? Are you all guys the, every all the, time? Every time. So is that unless unless our schedules, you know, if we can get two jobs that line up, then I'll take one and he'll take one, mm -hmm. but most often we're on the same job. And we sort of, he's a visual effects supervisor as well. Um, I produce more than he does. So we sort of diverge along the way and then come back together on set. Um, a lot of times if it's something that's narrative or has a, more than just boards, um, who, whichever of us has sort of brainstormed that scene better, just based on whatever timing or creativity creative ideas that person will just sort of take the lead on that uh between the two of us um you know it's a we've been collaborating for 45 years yeah so yeah. it's sort of just innate sometimes we argue and sometimes we want to punch each other in the face and sometimes it's great <laughs> i was curious More about often that than not, it's you great. guys obviously spend your whole life together mm -hmm. uh, is it ever too much or or do the creative um forces that you guys have within you ever clash so much that's just hard yeah, of to work course. together. yeah no of course yeah. my brother is a little more of like a uh 
pie in the sky, technical, like in a perfect world, in theory, this is how we should do this. Or this is the piece of gear we should buy, or this is what the direction we should go in. And I would say at least 50% of the time, I'm like, that sounds great. And the other half of the time, I'm like, that sounds great. But what if we did this? You know, similar to directing. I'm like, I don't think we should buy that right now. Or yes, in a perfect world, that would be great. But our budget is $100,000, not a million dollars. So we can't do that. And then we just bounce back and forth between each other. Uh, you know how they say that people are like realists slash dreamers? Yeah. I'm the realist slash he's the dreamer. <laughs> so with our, But you guys are identical twins. Yeah. So with right. the one brain we share that our wives say we share, we sort of split it <laughs> like that. So what's the type of work you find yourself doing on a weekly basis now? I mean, week to week, it could be... Always different. Well, so... So to backtrack, my brother and I are known as the Diamond Brothers. We have a production company. That's our director's brand. We're no, we, we have a, our production company is the Hidden Fortress. So we don't rep other directors, but we rep ourselves. But we also, we will go out and direct for other companies. Some people are like, hey, I really like what you do, but we're going to produce. Can we just rep you as a director on this job? Sure. Great. Not a problem. Uh, we have a VR company, Supersphere. That's my brother and I and three other partners. And we're, we're, um, for the last couple of years, that's been, you know, pretty steadily taking up a lot of our time. Um, and then we're also uh, partners in Frame.io, which is a... Well, let's talk about that because, yeah. man, when, when Frame.io came out, that really kind of changed, changed our, our workflow. Yeah. And it was, it was awesome. Well, so, so at the time, um, we were cohabitating a space with Emery Wells from Frame.io who had a production company called a post-production company called Catabatic and he and his co-founder John Trevor uh, were forced to use WireDrive and all the media silo and all these other companies which at the time were all you had and they're like man there's got to be a way better way to do this you know there's just I'm um, I wish we could do this. I wish we could do that. And so Emery had this big idea and John is a savant and they just started working on this thing that was going to be an internal tool and very quickly realized that it didn't have to be that potentially this could be a thing. And, you know, throughout the process at being, production people out in the field oh what would you like to see in it what how about this how about that you know just sort of advising along the way on our you know here's my two cents see if it works um and then you know obviously history has shown it's played out to be a pretty uh, wise pretty viable product honestly it's great for us um in our company we have several people wearing multiple hats and kind of Mm -hmm. going in different directions and gary and i are on the road a lot so it really gives us the ability to look at the footage, be in touch with our guys, um, stay on top of it, send it to our instructors, let them approve it or not. Um, we have a lot of companies that we're in partnership with and we produce videos for them. We can not only send them stuff to look at, but they can actually grab and download the, the final file right off of it. It's been it's, – it's a great product. So kudos to you guys for making it happen. Thanks. I mean, Emery and John have put together a stellar team of engineers who – have just 
done the impossible and and really taken his vision and made it a reality and you know it just to it's odd because you know we we talk about this stuff all the time well what if we did this and what if we did that and what if we did this and you look at some of the other companies and it's not a knock it's just you know as we're going through our pipeline and thinking about things that we want to do we're just surprised that no one else is doing what we're doing to the to the level that we're doing yeah, it yeah. um because you know a lot of it's not rocket science it's it's you if you think logically about production and post production these are the the ways you would right. want to do things. I think right? the reason why a lot of those other companies don't incorporate stuff is like what you're doing is because they start either as hardware or software companies. They're Maybe. not they're not really working pros in it, but they have a product or a product line that they start to fine tune and tweak to a particular technology to a particular yeah. segment, um, and then everybody kind of gets stuck working within that. Well, I think part of it might be that a lot of these other companies that we're up against have been around for a while. So they have to take their existing architecture, which may be older, mm-hmm. and turn it into a newer sure. product where we started from the ground up and built our own uploader and built all of our ar- architecture from scratch, not just going like, well, I guess we could use this back end. And we right. could, I'm not saying the other companies do, but I'm saying right. when we put ours together, it was just write our own because then we know how to integrate it you sure. know, piece by piece by piece. How long did it take to write it all? Two years. Yeah. And then there was like a year of beta. Yeah. Half, six, six months of beta. Yeah. I mean, it's a gamble. Yeah. It's- you, you gamble and you hope that's all, you know, well, we're on it. We love it. What are other people saying? I mean, is a customer base growing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, we couldn't be happier. We've raised a ton of money and, and customer, customer reaction, especially when we, when we launched 2.0, mm-hmm. was people were like, oh my God, how did I not know I needed this before? <laughs> or, oh my God, I knew I needed this before and I couldn't find it anywhere. Thank you. You know, right. it's, uh, it's nice when you make something that, you would want to use that other people also say, wow, yeah, that's the problem I had. Yeah, I'd like to say we know Emery, but we truly only know him by the messages. That <laughs> <pop up. laughs> yeah, yeah, it feels need... like, is, are we really talking to him when we, we, we yeah, send yeah. a message? Yeah. Oh, yeah, no, no. Um, through our support channel, I mean, I can say 100% there, and there are no robots yeah. at our company. When, nice. you, when you send the message, it's either Brett or someone on his team or Emery responding less Emery now because He's we have a full support team. But yeah, up until our support team came on board, you sent a message and it was Emery or John who responded cool. to you or me or my brother. What were the biggest hurdles you guys had to overcome with making that thing work? Money. Financing. Money. I was going to say financing. I mean, you can only pay for the stuff <laughs> yeah. for yourself for so long. You know, being able to raise a seed round and have that, okay, I can just breathe now and I can hire a couple extra people because, you know, if you have a really small team and one of those people leaves or dies or who yeah. knows what, then you're like, what do we do now? Right. He knew everything. <laughs> you know? So being able to have a, a robust team that not only helps you squash bugs that you have, but create new features um, for people who need them uh, is important. Is the pressure on now though? Because you've got seed money, you've got uh, you've got investors. You gotta. I mean, I mean, back. you know, it's a we're not selling Teslas, you know, so it's not like you can <laughs> right. say I know that a million people want to buy this, you know, Model Three, or something. It's 
you hope that you're developing something that people like, that people are using, and we see steady growth, and we we have a positive outlook for the future, and we just keep doing what we're doing until we retire to our private islands. There you go. <laughs> you got one picked out. Uh, I will take any private island. <laughs> so, as long uh, as it's warm. We asked this to, to everyone that we talked to. What advice do you have for, you know, the the young people coming into the industry that, you know, maybe want to intern or work for free or well, what, do, what do you tell people? Back in my day. <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, a lot of the DPs that we work with. So there's one DP that we work with, Mike Gomes, who uh, shot a documentary that we produced called The Dwarvenaut, which is on Netflix. It's about Dungeons and Dragons. We met him at Reducation. He was one of our students, and they had asked us, "Oh, can you go shoot this thing?" The red people, uh, mm-hmm. uh, people were like, "Can you go shoot this thing that we have going on this night? Grab a couple of your students. It'll be like an, uh, you know, extra credit thing." And he was just the guy that was like really on it, knew his stuff, was really energetic, and and like I want to do this and whatever you want, you know. And so we just, oh, grab Mike. Yeah, he's into it. And they're like, oh, he's really good. You know, he's like in his early 20s, so he doesn't care. He lives at home. So he's like, you can pay him 200 bucks and he'll just do it because he just wants to. That Yeah. That's the thing is you just have to have the willpower and the, and the, I guess the backing to sort of do whatever because you never know what it's going to turn into, right? So now he's a DP and he's just, you know, he's going to London for a, to shoot something for the Conrad hotel or, you know, whatever we've worked him through our system, you know, as an AC and then on some smaller jobs to DP to test out, you know, cause if you blow it, it's like, eh, this is a small, whatever, but you know, you work, you work your guys through the system. And if they are good and we all get along and all these things happen, then we hope that we can turn these guys into, solid people that we can use much less send them out into the world as uh you know for other people to enjoy do you see much crossover from people coming from the still world or does it feel segmented where people are just kind of coming up in the motion world because so so many still photographers are trying to make the leap and they do it with their own clients you know where they're running motion cameras as well as still i mean the only way to, to do that just like we did from editing clients to flip them into directing or production clients is take your existing client base and say, Hey, I know you want me to do the thing you hired me for, but what if I added this other thing? Right. Right. Um, it's always about value add to start and you may not make any money on that additional piece. Right. Uh, well, I'm going to get another five D or an a seven S or something that I already have. That's not appropriate for the stills I'm doing, but I'm gonna set it up over here as a BTS camera. I'm going to hire my buddy who wants right. to get into the business and he's going to shoot BTS for me or I don't, whatever, however you want to, whatever your, your vibe is for what your client would like and do it. And hopefully they're like, oh, wow, that was great. Let's talk about making that a regular thing. And you go, great. That's going to be more money. You know, it, it's just a conversation. And again, that goes back to being personable, right? If you're, don't if you're be a dick. dick, I mean, <laughs> Don't well, be a dick. Just say what it Isn't is. Isn't that what Jesus said? <laughs> Rule number one, don't be a dick. Isn't that the, like, <laughs> Rule number two, show up with, seventh commandment. So, show up with wine. I don't think he used the same terminology, but that is exactly don't what he said. Don't be a dicketh. 
So I, you and I are roughly the same age, and I'm a huge Talking Heads fan, and I'm assuming you were too. Um, assuming I'm, that, I'm but a, I, I'm a, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. But I, I, I saw in the Frame IO spot that you guys mm. did the recreation of of Stop Making Sense. I, I want to know about that because I love the Talking Heads. That, that was a huge band for me. So we've been friends with Alex and Reese uh, from Documentary now for a long time from their Saturday Night Live uh, days. Alex Bono? Yeah. Yeah. So they were the DP and directors of the SNL commercial unit. Yeah, yeah. yeah they do all the... Yeah, we've met, actually met Alex. He's yeah, a great guy. Yeah, they're all... They took his workshop. Yeah, did his workshop. Yeah, yeah, they're, yeah. they're stellar. Yeah, that was a great workshop. I don't know. Is he still teaching us? Is he still I don't know. Us? I think those are all one-offs until they decide they want to do another one. Oh, yeah. Um, but, you know, Emery... Emery's post company used to grade all of those. Oh, so sort of, we used to all hang out and do stuff together and we would rent them cameras for their show and whatnot. And, uh, they were very early beta testers on frame IO because as you can tell in the piece, they have this insane workflow, um, from archive because they're aping other documentaries. They have all this, uh, reference footage that they have to use on set to be able to say, I want this shot to look like this. Well, here's the, let me go to my reference folder on frame IO and I'll show you the still from that documentary mm -hmm. that we're trying to, well, you know, all the way down to the getting archival clips to the editor and whatnot. So, um, I kind of forgot the question because I'm rambling. <laughs> yeah, we were talking, we were talking about the process of, of recreating stuff making sense. Oh yeah. So they, this was the penultimate episode of season two where they were, making a I guess like blue jean committee in season one which I guess was like kind of like aping the eagle steely dan style okay, this cool. was yeah they wanted to do a stop making sense so they did the test pattern was the band um I we weren't involved in any of their production we were just mm -hmm. there to capture our piece but watching them put on a live like they they recorded the As concert it was, portion, a concert, was live right. they just had yeah. audience they they put out a call. Hey, anybody want to come see this thing? And we were in the theater and they just played an entire show twice. Yeah. That's cool. I thought I mean, I, when the original came out, I thought it was really cool. It was really yeah, yeah. for me. I yeah. loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a little more of a, uh, I'm a little more prog. You're a little in my, in my seventies. <laughs> <rock. Yeah. laughs> that's cool. <laughs> um, what is data storage like for you guys? It must be insane. Dealing it's a with pain in the ass. Stuff it's... on the post. And oh, I can't we, even imagine. Yeah. How been... much do you keep too? I want to hear about that. Everything. I, I think I have a, a, uh, a G-Tech museum in my closet. At <laughs> Sounds work. like our safe. You still have yeah. SideQuest drives with stuff on it? Uh, no. <laughs> I think I just threw those away. Um, I still have a ton of beta tapes, though, like in boxes in my brother's garage. Because okay. I'm like, Don't. I might need those one day. Don't throw those <laughs> out. I know. Someday they'll be worse. I something. do not need those. Um, yeah, it's a problem. Yeah. You know, it's we might be moving over to LTO um, tape as backup, but that presents its own challenge because it's still a physical. Yeah. You still have to have, you know, one at home and one at the office in case right. your office burns down or yeah. whatever. I really, what I want is a, I know it's a stupid coming from somebody who works in a cloud computing company, but <laughs> don't say it, man. <laughs> I, we really, I really just want a cost effective cloud solution yeah. to just store terabytes and terabytes of data. That's not going to cost me $20,000 a year. 
you know, even Glacier, Amazon Glacier, or Google has their own deep storage. It's still, it's still going to cost me for like a hundred terabytes, which is pretty reasonable for the amount of stuff that I have had over the years shooting red 4k now 8k with the stormtroopers. It's, you know, it's like $8,500 a year or something, which is that's a good chunk of change. Stupid. Yeah, that's a good chunk of change to have to dish out. And then you're obviously going to keep shooting, so that number's going to go up, <laughs> right? So, you know, by the end of the year, it could be like 15 grand. Yeah, we hope you're going to keep shooting. Yeah. <laughs> Doesn't Amazon now have an option where they send you this huge, so, like, 50 locker. terabyte? Yeah, but it's still, that's just so you don't have to upload it. Yeah, and then you just have to send it they back. They send it back, I didn't, but it I didn't still think goes to Glacier, I think. I didn't think it was more than three or 400 bucks. The only reason we didn't do it is because Missouri isn't one of the states that they send ah. it to. How can you not ship stuff to Missouri? It's I don't know. They send it to Illinois. isn't enough. That's yeah. the problem. Well, then you just have to get multiple. I, didn't, I don't right. remember it being that well, expensive, but I though. think that, But I, I don't think that's for storage cost. I think that's for them to send it to you, for you to load it up, and then to send back to them. There's no way they're storing that stuff for you for the same money. Yeah, so it's, it not, might not re- be. it's not reasonable right. based on their other pricing. I yeah, could be wrong. Please tell me if I am because <laughs> I want to do that. Yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to um, look into that. But yeah, it's just we're sort of still on this on this cusp of creating massive amounts of data, especially with the VR yeah. uh, projects we're doing, to be able to have a reasonable place to store this stuff that where you don't have like, you know, 1764 terabyte GTEC raids just stacked on a shelf somewhere because it's still all physical media. Right. If you don't spin it up periodically, it's going to lose its magnetic yeah, field and then yeah, you have to won't work it and yeah, it's just full time full time data management is annoying. What do you struggle with the most on set or just in general? <laughs> craft services. Yeah, craft services. <laughs> Not eating at all. Um your camera fell. Um I don't know. It did. It's all different job to job. You know what I mean? One client, one job might be in a, a difficult client, one might be a difficult location one might be a difficult creative one might be it's never the know, same it's thing. never the yeah. same thing yeah. because Always we, a we don't do the same thing over and over again yeah you know um it, yeah it's hard to tell sometimes you're in you're in pre-pro on a job for two months that's difficult because you don't get two months of pre-production budget yeah right sometimes the job is awarded a week beforehand and you're scrambling and that's the challenge. It's, it's, you never know. So you guys have a lot of stuff going on. You've, you know, you're directing, you've got the VR stuff, you've got frame IO. What are the steps that you guys want to take to get to that private Island? What do you want to direct? What do you want to do <laughs> until, until you buy that Island that you want? Um, I'm just going to play the lottery. <laughs> I think I have just as equal a chance. As, <laughs> well, you're in Vegas, man. There's yeah. plenty of things to play around yeah, here. That's true. Um, Are there any projects you're pining away for or something that you're writing that you really want to yeah, develop on your own? Yeah. I mean, you know, our ultimate goal, Jason and I, is to direct features. I mean, that's always been our goal. We love yeah. movies. And to be able to add to the pantheon. I mean, we've produced a number of documentaries. We've directed some documentaries. Uh, feature length, but you know, I want to make a narrative film. Uh, we've done a bunch of shorts and and stuff, and it's there's. I mean, also, I'd love to do episodic TV. Yeah, I think that's. I love episodic TV, not like Friends, but you know, like 
know, how has Netflix all or something yeah, yeah. like that? How know? has Netflix changed the industry? I think Netflix is a is a blessing and a curse because you know it's a great platform to get people to see your work mm-hmm. because it's everywhere. Yeah, but they buy such an enormous amount of content or create an enormous amount of content or both. It's like going to a used record store and looking for that one record you really want, but it's not alphabetized because they just put it in piles. That's interesting. You know what I mean? It's it's oftentimes, unless you tell somebody, my movie's on Netflix and they go search the Dwarvenaut, you know, <laughs> then they know where it is. But if... If you're just on Netflix looking for something to watch, I mean, seriously. That's interesting to me because I, I do think that they're doing some amazing things like House of Cards, the, the production value, the money that they're spending is oh, amazing. Yeah. And the fact that they, they are employing so many people in the industry mm-hmm. right now is great. So that's an interesting take on it that um, it's hard to find. And in that way, it's kind of a mess. But Well, the they, other problem is unless you're a, you know, I don't know Amazon's policies, but I know. Content. Yeah, content I Amazon Prime is amazing. Yeah. Yep. Um, th- neither of them pay a lot of money for your projects unless you're a name person or you have like big name people. So it's yep. like, you know, you might get 50 grand for your doc as a license fee from Netflix for a five year deal. And you're like, oh, that's sweet. Until you realize you just licensed your movie for five, five years, years for domestic. Yeah. And it can't be anywhere yeah, else. Can't go They're anywhere working. else. And they're probably making a ton of money off of yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, yeah. well, the interesting thing, you know, Netflix is a little bit like Uber. Uh, you know why Uber's so cheap, right? No, Uber's so cheap because for you to take mm-hmm. is because Uber subsidizes your ride sixty percent of your ride. They do. Yeah, I thought it was because that's they didn't how you have buy to... the market. I thought it was because they didn't have to make the, uh, no. the drivers have insurance or any no. kind of regulation no, have, or any kind no. of oversight. That's a whole other thing. <laughs> That's a whole other thing. No, when you have billions of dollars, you buy the marketplace, right? Yeah. I'm going to use Uber because it's cheaper. Well, it's right. cheaper because the company is subsidizing, right? That's so Netflix does a similar thing where they sell future debt and they take, they raise a billion dollars to make content. And I don't pretend to understand how you sell debt because i'd love to sell mine uh, to <laughs> the future to somebody yeah um but it's it's you know you're sort of it's this cycle of saying if we don't create new content people are not going to continue to come back to netflix but if we and that's how we gain subscribers right but we can't gain subscribers unless we make the content so you're sort of in this catch-22 so you have to get investors to gamble that the content you're making based on your track record is going to get you more subscribers, mm-hmm. right? So they're subsidizing their own I didn't realize they're that. subsidizing their own content creation in right. order to gain subscribers to right. gain money. It's a racket. See what I'm saying? Well, everything's, a racket. everything's a racket. Everything's a racket. Yeah, it's no just about it. you know where in the pyramid are you? <laughs> Hopefully not at the bottom or hopefully not building that pyramid because yeah. that's the hardest. Somewhere in the, the block in the middle is not where to be. <laughs> well, I, yeah, Josh, thank you. Cool. It's been a great conversation. I think our uh, our building might blow over at this yeah, point. I, I, it's, this I is the windiest. Vegas was so windy. Yeah. I don't remember. the desert. <laughs> yeah, but I never knew Vegas was the windy yeah, city. I don't have this One day the wind will blow the dust away all the bodies out there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so where can everyone find your work at and follow you on all the social um, medias? You can follow us at thediamondbros.com. 
thehiddenfortress.tv, superspherevr.com, frame.io. Um, on all socials, my brother is just Jason Diamond. I am just Josh Diamond, except for on Twitter where I am Josh underscore Diamond because some other jerk took my name. <laughs> <laughs> my friend... When I joined Twitter, my friend was like, hey, what happened? how come you can't get your name? I'm like, I don't know. Some other guy has it. He's got like two followers. He doesn't do anything. Oh, that's so the my worst. Friend, my friend reported him as spam, <laughs> <laughs> trying to get him to get kicked off so I could take his name. But didn't work. Didn't that's work. the worst when the last tweets from like 2008. Yeah. You're like, come on, <laughs> man. Like, I just had in and out yeah. He's delicious. <laughs> they've com- they've yeah. completely lost the password to that account. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's, it's just like, an oh, egg. that'd be me. Yeah. <laughs> it's just, it's an, just, egg. just an egg. Yeah. <laughs> Six tweets. Somebody boil that egg. <laughs> That's really give me funny. that. Give me that name. Well, thanks so much. We really appreciate you taking the time to come down and talk with us. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, hopefully, people enjoy my ramblings. Yeah, they will. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and to download this podcast and the entire season four with filmmakers, producers, DPs, and cinematographers, go to rggedupodcast.com and also follow us on iTunes, Stitcher, Google, and SoundCloud. Go for MySpace. Don't forget MySpace. <laughs> We're there too. Check your mailbox. <laughs> Cheers. I tried to tell you, this is not like other podcasts. They say they're photographers, but they're drunk. I've heard it with my own ears. This podcast is brought to you by Sakonic, where being a professional means being consistent with your exposure, no matter the situation. Sakonic light meters not only help photographers and filmmakers get it right in camera, they help them create a consistent style and save hours of post-production time. Head to Sakonic.com to learn more about their collection of time-saving tools and to see how they can help you become the professional you're meant to be.